This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. After a long, spectacular weekend of football, college basketball, golf, and yes, Robert, even boxing, we welcome you into a Monday drive. Hope you had a safe and healthy Thanksgiving holiday. Over the next hour, I'll give you my first impressions of each ACC Big Four basketball team, starting with the Tar Heels in just a minute. But we've got to begin with the Carolina Panthers because yesterday's game in Minnesota is going to end up being the worst loss of the year. That's how it's going to be remembered. If you're expecting me today to make big sweeping judgments about this team based on yesterday, I don't encourage you to hold your breath. I was always taught all throughout my life never to judge a person by what they are at their lowest point. You wouldn't want that done to you. Don't do that to other people. So I'm not going to define this Panthers team based on yesterday. It's going to go down as the low point of Matt Rule's first season, and he even acknowledged it in his post-game press conference, where usually, just to let you in behind the scenes, they try to cut these things short. you got PR staffers that whisk coaches along to protect them from going too long. They have a watch. Yeah, we'll give them five to ten minutes. Then they'll say, we have time for one or maybe two more questions. Well, they tried that song and dance yesterday. And as the PR staffer was getting the words out of his mouth, he has time for a couple more questions. Matt Rule interjected and said, no, no, no. Today feels like a day I need to answer all of their questions. That's what Coach Rule said yesterday. Haven't seen many coaches in the NFL do that, but Matt Rule did because I think he understands Yesterday was on a lot of people, but I think he's primarily responsible because he's the head coach. If so many people deserve blame for a game, the guy at the top's responsible. If there are so many things wrong in your household, odds are it's on the parents. If there are so many problems in a school, in a business, even if the guy who's running things does not have direct knowledge of what went wrong or made the specific decision that led to mistakes being made. The guy at the top ultimately is responsible. That's what we saw. You could blame many different people. The offense, they were outscored by the defense. The defense, you allowed Kirk Cousins to march all the way down the field despite all the injuries that the Vikings had to score a touchdown with less than a minute remaining. Special teams, you have a kick get blocked Joey Sly, we hear about how he can hit kicks from 65. He misses badly from 54 indoors. Everybody deserves a slice of the blame. And if that many people deserve blame, it falls on the coach. And Coach Rule knows this. Here's what he had to say immediately after the game. And I've always been trying to be really honest and real and direct about, you know, where I think the fault is. I think, you know, as a coaching staff, we didn't get the job done today. I think anytime you have two defensive touchdowns and you don't win, um, it's, it's, it's on you. You know, anytime that uh, you hold them 55 yards, it's on, it's on us as a staff. 2.26 remaining in the game. Minnesota has one timeout remaining. 
Carolina is in second and 14. This is the biggest mistake the coaches made. I don't know if it's Rule or Joe Brady or a combination of the two. They decided to get too cute and they ran two pass plays. Of course, there's hindsight involved with this. You don't know that Minnesota is going to muff a punt, but if you don't get too cute and you just decide, regardless of what the play call is, we're going to make sure it's inbounds and that it's a run play, that a guy has to be tackled and the clock continued to move, you're going to be inside the two-minute warning punting the football away. If they muff it in that circumstance and you recover, you don't have to run plays that end up with Teddy Bridgewater missing a wide-open DJ Moore and DJ sustaining what looked like was an ugly injury. I hope I'm wrong, but with non-contact deals, that's where things get scary. You you just need it out at that point. It's victory formation. But that's not what happened. Carolina got too cute. Matt Rule had to learn a lesson. Fortunately, this is a year where you can learn a lot of lessons because it's not about wins and losses. It's about the evaluation for everybody. Coaches, players, all types of staffers. This is an evaluation year to see who long-term pieces are. Yesterday is primarily on Matt Rule because he's the guy at the top. That doesn't mean he's a bad football coach. I'm not going to define teams or people by their lowest point, and I thought yesterday was the low point of this Panthers season. It's the only time, Robert, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, it's the only time I felt they've lost a game that they unmistakably should have won. Only time this year. You look at the other losses. Usually they're coming from behind. Kansas City, the Saints, Atlanta the second time. Tampa, they're trying to come back in games. You need a late drive in order to win it. The Bears game, this was the only one that felt like Carolina was in control. They should win it, and they blew it. They're trying to protect the lead. They weren't able to do it for one reason or another. They're given all these breaks. Here's a muffed punt. Here's two defensive touchdowns, Jeremy Chen, in the span of 10 seconds. The Vikings don't have Adam Thielen. They're banged up to the point where the Panthers O-line that isn't any good didn't allow a sack for the second consecutive week. You still found a way to collapse in this game. This is the only time this year they've lost a game that they absolutely positively should have won. And while we're talking about the low points of a season, this was also Teddy Bridgewater's worst game. Not defining Teddy by it. Not saying he can't be a franchise quarterback because of it. But here are the two things I expect from Teddy Bridgewater week to week. Heck, I'll make it three things. I expect three things from Teddy every single game. Accuracy, I expect responsibility and team guy. Those are the three things. Really, I guess it boils down to two. Accuracy and responsibility. He was neither responsible nor accurate yesterday. 50% completion guy, red zone interception. That I mean, that's not responsible football. Him throwing interceptions, that's not who his identity is. But he's also being sold as this massive leader, and this was maybe his low point where, like it or not, he threw Joe Brady under the bus after the game. Unlike Matt Rule, 
he wasn't saying this loss is on me, even though his offense only produced 13 points while the defense produced 14. He didn't say that after the game. Instead, he pointed to the third down play where he missed a wide-open receiver. He pointed to coaches not getting the play in quick enough. Listen to this. We don't have that sound. Maybe we can get it later. Um, he said, we panicked a little bit. He said, the play came in a little bit too late. Uh, and that might be true, but that's something you want to keep in-house. That's something you want to keep in your building. We have that sound now. Let's hear it. It's uh, Teddy Bridgewater talking about panicking on that third down play and in the process throwing coaches under the bus. It's one of those deals where I feel like we might have panicked a little bit, you know, trying to figure out what play call to call, um, you know, in that situation because it's like, man, do you, do you run the ball and, you know, get stopped, uh, make, a, make the clock go down to probably a minute or 10, throw the ball, try to score. And I think, um, honestly, we called a great play. We just didn't have enough time to execute the play. It was a play where we wanted to shift Robbie to get a yeah, good. I've, you know. I've heard enough there. Uh, you can't say they called a great play, then criticize them for getting it in too late. And that's why you didn't execute, especially when the player's wide open. The play did exactly what it was supposed to do. You missed the wide open receiver, so I don't want to hear about, hey, the play came in too late. Clearly it didn't. You make an accurate throw, you win the game. So that was a mistake on Teddy's part. Yesterday was the low point of the Panthers season. North Carolina basketball is going to be in action tonight. It's the Maui Invitational in Asheville, North Carolina. They're facing UNLV at 7 o'clock. We've seen them play one game. This was last Wednesday against the College of Charleston. And boy, I think I've seen enough to know it's going to be a roller coaster season for this team. It's going to be exciting. There are going to be highs. There are going to be lows. And mostly it's because without reliable shooting, you are always going to be susceptible to being upset in college basketball. Just look at Kentucky. They missed, I think, all of their three-point attempts, or at least their first nine. What happens? They get beat at home, and they get beat badly by a Richmond Spiders team. Oh, but Richmond's experience, they're great. You shouldn't beat Kentucky at Rupp Arena by double digits when they're the number 10 ranked team in the country. But the reason why that happened, they don't have reliable shooting. North Carolina against the College of Charleston, 4 of 18 on 3 uh, from three-point range. Uh, their starters only attempted nine threes in the game. And you might think, Josh, this is a small sample size, and I agree with you. On that, I disagree if you are not concerned with this because I've been talking about it all offseason. This is my primary concern with North Carolina. Who's their best shooter? Oh, it's Kerwin Walton. Oh, it's Puff Johnson. Those guys aren't on the floor much Wednesday night. Those are young players. North Carolina is young, and they're behind schedule. Puff and Walker Kessler, they were ruled out contact tracing and COVID, which means they were late to the process and picking up packages and picking up plays. Roy even said as much in a press availability yesterday, so they didn't get a lot of playing time on Wednesday. That has them set back. Anthony Harris, he hasn't returned from injury yet. He's close, according to Roy. They didn't get any exhibitions. They're not going to have many cupcakes on the schedule. Not going to have as many games to get your feet wet in. You can't really simulate that experience. So they're going to get thrown into the fire. 
And when that happens, inexperienced, you know, young teams, maybe behind schedule, you're going to see some surprising results in there. And North Carolina is pretty susceptible given how their roster is constituted. The upperclassmen, they didn't help much on Wednesday. They were quiet. That was maybe the most concerning piece. Garrison Brooks, Andrew Playtack, Leaky Black, they combined for 15 points in the game. 15 points. Combined, they shot 25% from the field. 7 of 27. That's where I'll say sample matters. Garrison's going to be a great player. Uh, it's Andrew Playtech. How much are you really going to ask of him? But I am concerned about Leakey because eh, that's a guy who I'm expecting a lot of this year. He needs to take that jump. And I think I'm starting to believe we shouldn't really assume guys are going to be better, going to be a lot better just because they're another year older. We do that. Oh, he's going to be a junior now. This guy's going to be great. College basketball, the best teams are generally the ones that have the most talent, and the most talent is generally younger. So maybe we shouldn't quite do that. Maybe we shouldn't assume Leaky Black is going to take this big jump just because Luke May did and Garrison Brooks did. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong because that will make this team a lot more fun. But without a large jump from Leaky and this team being as it's currently inexperienced and behind schedule and not really having reliable shooting, eh, I really don't know where it's going to be at the end. That's why I'm fascinated with it. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. I'm glad I'm not emotionally attached to the team. Those who are, buckle up. It's going to be a very exciting and bumpy ride. Coming up, why what we saw this weekend, there is an example of something I'd call the single most extreme COVID circumstance we've seen in sports this year. That's a pretty big, tall order as well. I think it's the case. I'll tell you why next on a Monday Drive. A much, 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 much better, better, show, better, show, better show. The Drive with Josh Graham. Okay, so we've covered Tar Heel basketball. We've covered Wake basketball. We'll get to the Duke end of things in 15 minutes. Also, NC State as well. They're 2-0, already played two games already. Kind of like Wake basketball. And speaking of NC State, if we're going to call an NFL team in Indiana some combination of the Indianapolis Wolfpack or the NC State Colts because of Rivers, Brissett, and Hines, I think we might as well call the team in Denver either Wake Forest Western or how about the Deacon Broncos? Because as we saw yesterday, they have Kendall Hinton making his NFL debut at quarterback corner saying Bassey, he had his first NFL pick yesterday. And our next guest was a mid-round draft choice by the Broncos. It's, of course, former Deacon standout Justin Sternad who joins us. How's rehab going, Justin? The time's appreciated, by the way. It's going good. Just out here in Denver, just working every day to get my wrist better and uh, be healthy for next season. Goodness, man. When you watch Asang getting that interception and Kendall getting all this attention, him playing quarterback in the league. How much does that motivate you during your rehab sessions? And more important than that, I mean, just enhancing that hunger to get back out on the field and joining them. Yeah, it's awesome to see them get the attention that they're getting. I mean, from especially from, like I saying, going from an undrafted free agent to a guy that's playing 
um, a lot of snaps for us this year. And then Kendall, talk about an unbelievable opportunity and situation he was put in yesterday. Um, it's pretty crazy to see them uh, live out their dreams like this. And then, yeah, it just really makes it more exciting for me to work hard this off season and get out there next year because, I mean, I'm, I'm itching to play. But paint the picture for me, Justin, how the information process disperses uh, is spread within a team. Are you guys following things the same way we are learning from Schefter or Rappaport or whoever? Where exactly were you when you learned that the quarterback situation was so dire that they needed to go to Kendall, who was on the practice squad as a wide receiver, to be their quarterback? How did you learn that? Yeah, so the craziest thing was I actually – was up in Kendall's. He lives in the same apartment complex as me now, and um, I went up to his apartment to say what's up to him and check out his place that he just got. And um, it was it literally like an hour before he got the call, and um, we were just talking about how the three quarterbacks um, that got they got pulled out of practice for contact tracing. We were kind of just acting like, wow, that's pretty crazy. Like, what if they can't play or something? And then an hour later, he ends up getting a call. And saying that uh, they get they had like a walk through that night, and just saying that he was gonna have a script of plays, and they were just gonna try and do the best they could. So home once were you there when Kendall got the call? No, so I left probably I don't know thirty minutes before he got the call. <laughs> so then you hear from Kendall, or you learn on social media? So I mean, I figured once they they said that the no, none of the quarterbacks could play. I, I figured Kendall would be like the call, the the call. So I actually, me and a saying FaceTimed uh, Kendall to, and asked him, and he's like, "Yeah, they just called me, and we're gonna go ahead and go forward with it." <laughs> so you guys, you guys are already projecting this before we all know what the situation is. You're thinking, "Goodness, you're doing the math." These guys get pulled out of practice; they theoretically can't play. Who else are they gonna play at quarterback? Well, we know a guy. Exactly. Yeah. I, it, the funny thing is, I I texted my brother and told him about it because like I, I was my phone was getting blown up with all my friends and family asking me like who's gonna play quarterback and that. I'm like K two, and uh, he he we he knows a friend of his out in Denver that's a, like diehard Broncos fan, and the kid ended up like tweeting it out or something. He's like he was like all excited that he beat Schefter to report the news. That's crazy. Justin Sternad with us here, Denver Broncos linebacker, former Wake Forest Demon Deacon. I've seen the tweets from reporters across the league saying that there is a deep respect for what Kendall was asked to do yesterday. You mentioned a limited script of plays. You know, he wasn't really asking for that type of opportunity, but he went in there and he did his best. Cameron Jordan, I think, had a long tweet about it saying much respect for what Kendall did. Apparently, every Bronco dapped him up afterwards. Give me a sense as somebody who's actually on the roster. How much respect is there today? How much did he earn based on the effort he put forth yesterday? Yeah, I mean, the the casual fans don't understand like what it takes to perform at this level of play. And for I mean, we're talking not even twenty four hours. The kid literally got called at like at six o'clock at night telling saying that he's gonna be starting against the New Orleans Saints who happen to have one of the best defenses in the National Football League. Um and I mean just to even have the courage and will to go out there and try his best, like says it all. I mean, we're talking about the highest of highest levels of football. And um, obviously it's a lot different than college. Everybody's fast, powerful, strong. And, I mean, it was just cool to see him get that experience. 
what were some of the things you wanted to convey to him as somebody who's been a friend with him longer than pretty much anyone on the roster? You and is saying, what did you want to convey after the fact? Obviously, he'd like to perform better than he did, but it's a tough circumstance, as you mentioned a couple of times there. So what were those conversations like after the game? What did you want to convey to him as a friend and teammate? Yeah, I just told him how, much, how proud of I have uh, of what of him I was, and just really, um, honestly, he. I told him I texted him before the game. I said, "Listen, bro, you got nothing to lose. Go out there, have fun, um, enjoy playing ball. Like he's he's done his whole life, and obviously things didn't go exactly the way um, he wanted or any of us wanted to. But at the end of the day, that's something he'll never forget. That's a a lifetime memory, and um, it's it's a blessing, a blessing in disguise for sure." Let's close on this. Justin Sternad with us. I know you still follow the college game really closely. Um, you and I, next time you're around, you owe me some putters based on that Clemson-Notre <laughs> Dame game. Uh, you thought Clemson sure. was going to win. I thought Notre Dame was. But I'll give you a chance to, to get even here. I'd be willing to go double or nothing depending on what you think tonight. It's Seahawks-Eagles later on tonight. What's your general read tonight on this game? As somebody who's a football fan who listens to sports talk radio dating back to when you were here in the triad, what do you think of tonight's game? I do I do actually think it'll be a closer game than uh, the odds indicate or um, people kind of think. I think majority everybody is picking the Seahawks win, and I do think the Seahawks will win, but I think it'll be a good game. I mean, everyone's on Carson Wentz this year acting like he's awful, but I mean, Honestly, it's not like he hasn't played well, but the the Eagles have a lot of problems. I mean, their whole entire offensive line is basically out. And, I mean, I I see it kind of being a shootout tonight, to be honest. I see it being a high-scoring game, but I'll I'll say the Seahawks win by eh, six. I'll I'll take the Seahawks by six tonight. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I'm not going to disagree with that Seahawks-Eagles pick, so we might have to wait to a later point where maybe we might go double and nothing on the putters bet because as of right well, now we, we we can run that ACC championship back when Clemson plays Notre Dame. Woo! Okay, I'll I'll take a good hard look at that. Uh, I'll uh, take yeah, a good. Can, you you just hit me up every week. We'll be in contact. <laughs> we'll do that. I'll hit you up every single week. You know what? We might even get you be our uh, celebrity uh, odds maker or celebrity prognosticator <laughs> to see what's going to happen for the weekend. But you worry about getting right, Justin. Uh, good luck with that wrist. We look forward to continue following your career and following the Deacon Broncos. Uh, appreciate the time. I appreciate it, Josh. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. You got it. That's Justin Sternad of the Deacon Broncos. Robert Walsh. I don't know why you wouldn't call him the Denver Deacons. Like, the alliteration, it just sounds so much smoother. I'll put out a poll, or maybe we'll just put this out to the audience right now. 336-777-1600. What sounds better, Deacon Broncos or the Denver Deacons? I see where you're coming from with the alliteration. I just thought since Deacon has about half the same amount of letters as Denver, you might even get away with it looking exactly like Denver Broncos would. Deacon I just think Broncos. when you have a vowel instead of a consonant after it with Deacon, it's you're not going to get the Denver effect. It's not going to be the, the same thing as if you, you had it in there with the double D. 777-1600 is the phone number. Deacon Broncos or Denver Deacons. Shifting things to NC State basketball before we get to Duke and my grades. NC State's already 2-0, and they are exactly where Kevin Keats wants them to be. Here's the irony of it all. 
NC State can never catch breaks. We have a cut in our computer, Robert. We have a drop here that we play every single time we reference NC State that speaks to this. We suck. Because that that's how NC State fans feel normally when they get kicked in the nads time and time again because of bad luck. But here's the irony of it. Not just Alanis Morissette-type irony, either actual irony is what I'm speaking to. Teams are thinner than ever in the age of COVID. You'll lose guys left and right, and NC State very well might lose some guys. In fact, they're not playing tonight because William and Mary had a case of COVID. They're being very careful. They're not going to play that game tonight. Hopefully, they can reschedule another game. In fact, John Rothstein just reported that they're going to be playing in a couple of weeks in the Mohegan Sun and Connecticut going up against UConn. NC State is deeper than they've ever been at the start of a year under Kevin Cates. He played 11 guys at least eight minutes or more in both games. 11 players. That's what he wants to do. He's told us that. He wants to look like Florida State. He wants to play that way. He wants to be strength in numbers. Finally, he's able to do that. In the opener, Devin Daniels was incredible. Went for 29. Didn't start in game two, which I thought was kind of weird. But then we found out it was an accountability deal. He was 30 seconds late to a film session. Tough break for him there. Jericho Hellams, he picked up the load, leading NC State in scoring. It seems like to me both Daniels and Hellams are the guys who can carry this basketball team. Then you got off the bench this Greensboro freshman duo that I was excited to watch look every bit as real as I thought they were. Cam Hayes and Shaquille Moore, they looked great when they were out there. Cam filling up the score sheet. Second game with scoring, the first game with steals and assists. Shaquille, he's a really good athlete, and that's going to translate. Hard not to feel good about NC State based on what they did their first two games. We'll see as they play better competition if that holds up and if Keats can keep that rotation as the season goes on. As I mentioned, I got grades for Panthers-Vikings, and surprisingly, I have... More good than bad in those grades. Plus, I'll tell you why Duke exceeded my expectations. Yes, you heard that right. In their debut. It's all coming up next on The Drive. Ready? Yes. Punch up the audio for me now. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Such a loaded weekend, filled up with seconds and thirds and fourths of Thanksgiving, watching golf as the North Carolina-Notre Dame game was happening, Charles Barkley paired up with Phil Mickelson going up against Peyton and Steph Curry, you had Mike Tyson going up against Roy Jones Jr. on Saturday night, Snoop Dogg commentating that game, so much to get to. Gotten to pretty much every ACC Big Four team. The only one left out is Duke. We'll do that in a bit. I'll tell you my reaction to the Blue Devils winning a close game against Coppin State in their opener on Saturday at Cameron Indoor Stadium. We'll do that in a few minutes. But let's get to the grades. Panthers-Vikings yesterday. I attach a letter grade to a Panther or two, and then Robert will give me something completely random to grade. We call it Graham's Grades. Every week in the NFL is a big test for the Carolina Panthers. We don't need no education. 
Who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Time for Graham's Grades. A through F, and we start with the very good, surprisingly, more good than bad, even though the Carolina Panthers lost a heartbreaker to the Vikings yesterday. At the very end, it came down to the final minute in Minnesota. A. Jeremy Chin and Zach Kerr got two A's here. Chin had the two touchdowns. You have to think, Robert, since he won Defensive Rookie of the Month in October and has two touchdowns in the span of 10 seconds defensively, which we haven't seen before, you have to think he's the frontrunner to win Defensive Rookie of the Year, right? Uh, I don't know. I think guys on good teams have a better chance than he does. I mean, there's some guys who already have stats like that not two touchdowns in one game but I mean it's the full year I mean he's still got a couple more games to put together so I mean he's in the running do other rookies have multiple touchdowns this year on defense uh Patrick Queen has one uh I'd have to look at the stats but I mean I'm sure there are guys who have comparable stats maybe not tackle wise but are on more efficient teams Jeremy Chen led the Panthers in tackles as well that's the part that might get overlooked. He had 13 tackles in the game. We've been raving about this guy since the summer, and he has really been an incredible story coming out of FCS Southern Illinois starting every game for Carolina that he's been healthy to play. Zach Kerr, meanwhile, this is what this season's about. You get to evaluate guys, give them opportunity, see exactly what you have and who long-term pieces are. Kerr's a guy you pick up from Arizona. You don't really know what you have there. And he comes out at the D-tackle spot with eight tackles in the game. A sack, a TFL, a forced fumble, leading to a Jeremy Chin touchdown. He was tremendous, and he made plays against the Lions, too. Troy Pride Jr. had a key breakup one-on-one with Justin Jefferson in the fourth quarter. I'm seeing a lot of these young guys start to make plays. Jermaine Carter for the second sec- uh, consecutive week starting and doing good things. I give Chin and Zach Kerr an A, the younger Panthers starting to blossom. Uh, right now in the rookie uh, defensive rookie of the year odds, there are five guys, Chase Young, Patrick Queen, Antoine Winfield, Julian Blackman, and Jeremy Chin, and they all have comparable odds as Ooh. it's shifted over the months. Ooh, who's the favorite? Uh, they're, they're all sitting flat right now at the same thing. The new odds haven't come out after this week's stuff. Are they 25 to 1 or oh, they're sitting. I can't see it on here. It's off a chart, but it's under 2,000. So I got gotcha. you. We'll see. Jeremy Chin, hopefully he can get that honor. B. Robbie Anderson. He had one touchdown. Probably should have had two. Teddy, he was incredibly inaccurate in this game. He... Robbie Anderson had this double move down the right sideline, and Teddy, for some reason, just veered it off towards the sideline where Robbie couldn't stay in bounds. Should have been a touchdown, but the numbers are still really good. Four catches, 93 yards. He had another one that moved the chains as well across the middle of the field. That was his first touchdown since the opener. You might remember Robbie had that 75-yarder against the Raiders yesterday. First touchdown since then. So he's had some slower weeks in terms of yardage. He picked that back up. Again, four catches, 93 yards. He's a B. C. Mike Davis, generally running backs are a reflection of the offensive line. 
He had 55 on the ground, 24 through the air. He had a couple of catches or uh, three catches in the game. It's pretty good. It's a C. And it tells you at the offensive line, they did a really good job in pass pro. And not a lot of big holes for anybody to run through in the run game. You usually like to praise the line for one and you forget about the other. I thought it was a good few weeks for the offensive line. Taylor Moten, for example, according to Pro Football Focus, hasn't allowed a pressure in the last three weeks. Carolina doing some good things on the line. Not great. It's a C for Mike Davis. And I'll go ahead and throw the Panthers line in that as well. D. Joey Sly. Had a kick block. Not really his fault. He missed the game-winning field goal when he's... This guy boasting about the fact, maybe not boasting, but telling people he can hit kicks from 65 yards and hit record-length field goals. To me, Joey Sly is the Bryson DeChambeau of, of kickers. Don't tell me how far you can drive it if you can't hit the damn green. Joey Sly missing the game when he kicked for 54. By his standards, that should be a chip shot. He also made an, a chip shot field goal that I thought was missed. It float, floated over the uprights. I didn't know if it was good, but they gave him the benefit of the doubt. It's a D for Joey Sly. F. Teddy Bridgewater. F. Yes. You could do that multiple times, Robert. I don't care. F. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater. It was his worst game all year. Throwing coaching under the bus after the game, missing DJ Moore so badly when he was wide open that he might have damaged his leg in doing so. F, F. Yeah, it's a bad F performance for Teddy Bridgewater, throwing an interception, being at about 50% completion. It's the worst we've seen of him this year. Those are my grades. Uh, so over the weekend, I know you heard it. You've probably seen it, heard it, everything. Uh, Snoop Dogg doing commentary on pretty much the whole show, the whole fight card. What do you think about Snoop's uh, commentary performance? Doing some singing as well. I like the commentating. Uh, he's very entertaining. He made me laugh. He was the highlight of the night I felt. Had me thinking, though. Should we rethink the top billing broadcast that we do in all of our sports. The sports that have top teams. Hey, you got Nance and Romo and Monday Night Football tonight. You got Steve Levy, Lou Riddick, and Brian Greasy. Basketball. They already have theirs. It's Bill Walton who's calling things in Maui right now. Should we think about adding entertainment to these broadcasts that break away from the traditional mold of play-by-play and color? As long as Snoop Dogg's doing it, yeah. Maybe you but I'm thinking somebody... we could do that with other celebrities who are entertaining, too. Yeah, like, like who do you think? Thinking out loud, what if it was, say, with Duke Carolina, Ken Jong went to both places. What if Ken Jong was the third wheel? Yeah, that, that could be good. I think it matters about their public persona, how they're looked at. Like some guys, if you put them in there and they're, you know their jobs to be funny, they're not going to be funny. It's like if you, hey, I got a joke for you, and you preface the joke by saying, hey, I have a joke for you, people aren't going to laugh because you already t- you took the funny out of it. I got you. So I think it would have to be somebody who is looked at in a certain way and not 
held to a certain comedy standard, and Snoop does that because Snoop's just cool. So Snoop. don't bring in comedians. Bring people from the entertainment world who are already funny but aren't paid comedians. For sure. And maybe maybe not even like people that are well-liked like that. You, I think you could have like Alex Jones on a, a random fight card. No, I'm out. Where, why, why are you out? Alex Jones... I have no interest in anything that guy ever has to say. Yeah, because you haven't thought about it from like a, a funny standpoint. Like if they're like, Alex, I think that touchdown's coming back. Oh, that touchdown's going to stay on the board because that's part of the Communist Manifesto. That's funny as hell. And have guys like that. This was all fun until Alex Jones got brought up. What, what do you know about Alex Jones? Moving along. Duke basketball. While we still have time to do this, the they exceeded my my expectations on Saturday. They played Coppin State, and they're supposed to win by a ton. They didn't, so people are crushing Duke. Uh, they exceeded my expectations because their problems were with sloppiness and discipline. Those are two things you could fix, though. Those are probably the two most understandable problems to have early on in a year. Ton of turnovers, ton of fouls. Okay, you have a young team, no exhibitions. This is something that happens. There are plenty of things you can't fix. Can't fix size. Duke dominated in the post. Can't really fix shooting so much. If you're, you're either a good shooter or you're not at this point in the year. Can't really fix poor coaching. Duke obviously doesn't have that problem. And the Blue Devils, I wanted to see what they had with their freshmen. And they've seen to have identified two thoroughbreds in Jalen Johnson and DJ Stewart. Johnson, I thought was going to be really good. Great from the jump. Double-double in his first first half in college. Stewart, 24 points off the bench. Duke hasn't had the last few years, even with the Zion team, a reliable shooter. I think Stewart's going to be that. So Duke exceeded my expectations, and they're going to lean on Johnson and Stewart quite a bit. Might not be the two most valuable guys because you have secondary scoring from Wendell Moore and even Jeremy Roach, but that was a plus for Duke exceeded my expectations the first time I saw them. You are listening to WSJS Winston-Salem, WCOG Greensboro, WPC in Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up Sports Hub Triad. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Let's take a look at some college basketball scores. At the Maui Invitational... Not being held in Maui, but in Asheville, of course. Things tipped off with number 17, Texas, and Shaka Smart. Narrowly edging Bob McKillop's Davidson team, 78-76. The Hoosiers off to a 2-0 start at Indiana. They beat Providence, 79-58. And in the nightcap tonight, at 9 o'clock, it's going to be Alabama Facing Stanford, the winner of that game, of course, will have North Carolina and UNLV, which you can catch in about an hour and a half, ESPN2, where our next guest will be on the call. It's Roy Philpot, kind enough to be back on with us in the triad. Roy, paint the picture for me. You're joining us from the Maui Invitational in Asheville. Uh, I hear the weather's great in Maui this time of year. How's it in Asheville? It late tonight, about a 30% chance, uh, stark contrast to what is expected uh, in, in actual Maui. You know, I got the email from 
uh, our basketball bosses a couple of weeks ago, and the subject line said Maui Invitational. And I'm like, let's go. That sounds fantastic. And then you, you read a little deeper, not understanding that it had been moved to Asheville, which is a great city. The land of the sky is fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not quite the same, but it is basketball. It is college basketball. And I would argue that this is the premier tournament in 2020 to kind of get things rolling for a regular season. So no complaints. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun tonight. How long have the teams been there when it comes to trying to collect negative tests and, of course, build kind of, of a bubble-like atmosphere? We Zoomed with everybody yesterday. Most of the teams flew in at least the day before. So rough arithmetic, probably two and a half days prior prior to right now. So not, not very long, probably not as long as you would think. Yeah, and it's kind of strange. You see it some places. I know, for example, Roger Ayers, he was in Chapel Hill for a North Carolina game. Uh, they were facing the College of Charleston. Then the next night he was at a bubble, air quote, bubbled event and Fort Myers doing the Gonzaga game on Thanksgiving Day. Roy Philpott's with us here. He's on Twitter, at Roy Philpott. Shoot him a follow. And, of course, watch his call tonight of North Carolina and UNLV. My concern with this North Carolina team is is shooting, where I don't really know who the go-to perimeter shooter is going to be. They were 4, four of 18 in their opener from three. Only nine of those attempts came from starters. This is something I looked at the entire offseason – and I wonder how concerned I really should be about that for this team, considering when you think about Roy Williams' teams, you think about point guard and you think about bigs, and they seem to be good in those areas. How concerned are you about the shooting, though? Yeah, not at all. I'm not going to put a lot of stock into to something that happens in a season opener where you've got six of his top ten players being first-year guys. It's the first time it's ever happened for Roy Williams in his 18 years in Chapel Hill before that. At KU, so I, I look at their front court, Josh, and, and to me, it's the best front court in the country. I look at their overall size, and they're going to be just a ton to deal with. You know, on the perimeter, down low, uh, with what you know Baycott brings to the table. We saw Dayron Sharp, who, who Roy Williams told me yesterday, reminds him of, you know, has the same kind of tenacity as a Tyler Hansborough. They, they've got weapons. They're they're young, but they have plenty of weapons, and I would argue their front court is is going to balance out a lot of the issues that a younger backcourt uh, with, with uh, you know, Caleb Love and, and R.J. Davis, and they hope to get Anthony Harris back at some point, maybe early next year. You know, they're, they're going to be just fine. I look at Carolina, and I think they're going to be the most improved team in the country this year. Yeah, there's going to be some growing pains. Yeah, they may go four for 18 on some occasion, but uh, overall I think they're going to be just fine. I'm looking at, we're being joined by Roy Philpott, who again is going to be on the call, North Carolina UNLV, coming up in about an hour and a half from Asheville. You're going to be calling this game alongside Corey Alexander, who we've gotten to know in ACC circles. Some might be disappointed to find out it's not Bill Walton who called the first few games. He is an interesting character in college basketball, of course. Have you run into Bill Walton yet in your time in Asheville? Yeah, we did eight hours of Zoom calls with him yesterday. We're, we're not in Asheville, by the way. We're, we're all calling these games from our houses. Oh, you're so calling it from no your travel. houses. Okay. Yeah, Bill Walton's out on the left coast. Jason Benetti's in Chicago. I'm in South Carolina, and Corey, uh, I believe, is, is either in Virginia or North Carolina. So, yeah, we're no, nobody's on site for this, but we spent about eight hours yesterday <laughs> with Bill Walton Zoomathon, and, and we got to hear him and got to know him a little bit more, and like you said, he's an interesting dude and, and always fun to be around. What's the best Walton story you can share with us? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, what, what you see on television is exactly who he is. I, I think, you know, the, in broadcasting, you're, you're always taught, instructed to be yourself. You, you can't be somebody else. And just the way he cuts up on air. And I think his relationship with Jason is, is legitimate. That that's how they are. They play off each other really, really well. So, you know, he, he's not going to take himself too seriously. And, you know, even with the coaches, uh, he's able to get their walls down uh, fairly quickly, not only because, you know, he, he's kind of earned that right as a Hall of Famer and, you know, everything that he did in the NBA and then as a broadcaster calling NBA Finals. But, you know, he, he's got uh, – there's a method to the madness. I think he's uh, a lot smarter than, than, than people realize, and he is uh, – He's fantastic to, to be around and, and to listen to his stories. One of the only stories I have with Bill Walton, I remember it might have been, it was one of those final fours with North Carolina or Duke that we had Walton on. And I, I, I was thinking, okay, it's an anniversary year, so it might have been 2014 or 15, of NC State beating his UCLA team in 1974. And I brought it up just mildly, and Walton interjects and says, he remembers the same exact date, Greensboro, North Carolina, the Greensboro Coliseum, where the devil Tommy Burleson and David Thompson took a... He, he went nuts talking about that game. He was so upset uh, talking about it. But, of course, he was turning it on, has great flair, and he's great on television. Roy Philpot with us here, going to be on the call with Corey Alexander in just a bit. But thinking about Walton had me thinking... We need more untraditional, I think, when it comes to these broadcasts. There's a lot of room to do different things. I guess it might have been Snoop Dogg doing uh, some commentary for the Tyson-Jones fight that had me thinking about this a bit. Some are saying, get him on other broadcasts. As somebody who's been on a number of different sports and different broadcasts as a play-by-play voice, what do you think about maybe eh, mixing things up a bit when it comes to how the presentation looks, not just in 2020, but beyond it? I think it depends on the sport. I think certain sports require more of that, and other sports require less. If you're in the NFL, I, I don't think that you're, you're looking uh, to go down the humorous road because so many people take it so seriously. Of course. College football, I think, is the same thing. There, there's, there's a little avenue there for some leeway. But I think in other sports, um, you know, whether it's a boxing match or college basketball, there is multiple avenues, I believe, to, to explore some of those things. So, yeah, I mean, it just it just depends on the sport, whether it's trending up or down in terms of viewership, uh, you know, whether you, you've got elite star power in that particular sport. All those things matter. But, uh, yeah, college hoops, I, I think that's fair. I think it's fair to do a different broadcast. It's fair to cut up a little bit. It's fair to tell stories. I don't think it's fair to not document the game. I think that still has to be the priority, but – uh, I think people can loosen up a little bit, uh, you know, especially this year, given everything that's happened. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Tell us what your setup looks like. We're going to be watching you in just a little bit <laughs> on ESPN too. What's it look like from your home? Well, it's uh, I'm at the corner of two giant brick walls uh, in our place. They're about 20 feet high. Um, on, on one side, I've got uh, a lot of press passes all jumbled up. The other side is pretty much blank, and then I've got seven monitors with varying camera angles, uh, promo reads, stats, and uh, a camera right beside all of that. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's rudimentary, but it's, it's fairly sophisticated, uh, you know, for, for a home setup. And ESPN, I think, has done a pretty good job, really good job, actually, of getting a lot of us uh, equipped, you know, to do these games from home because it's safer, it's easier, it's cheaper. 
And uh, at the end of the day, in this crazy world we're living, that we're all living in, it's it's something that's more of a necessity. So, uh, you know, if, if we were going to have live sports, this was going to be the way that we were going to do it, um, especially until we get hopefully in the next year when a vaccine is, is readily available. So uh, it's it's good. It's good. And we're all happy to be working, and we're happy that there's basketball to call tonight and that the Maui Invitational so far has gone off without a hitch, and, and hopefully that continues. Look forward to watching, Roy. Thank you for uh, squeezing in the time. Have a great call tonight, and uh, we'll catch up sometime soon, I'm sure. All right, Josh. There you go. That's Roy Philpott, ESPN. That's going to be on ESPN2 tonight, where you can hear Roy's call and watch the Tar Heels play. Got some breaking news into our studio. We had it 30 minutes ago learning that Steelers-Ravens postponed to Wednesday. Uh, that seems to be player-driven to try and get that done. Don't know what that means for Washington Steelers on Sunday, but the Ravens, who are set to play the Cowboys on Thursday night, now going to be a Monday game. That's already moved there. Likely doesn't need to be adjusted again, but who knows at this point. The breaking news that I have now, though, regards Wake Forest basketball. As, kind of like with the football program that's had COVID issues, we're seeing a COVID issue with the men's basketball team as this is from straight from a press release given to us from Wake Forest Athletics. Due to results from a Wake men's basketball COVID testing and contact, uh, contact tracing, the Demon Deacons will pause team activities this week. Wake will not play Troy Wednesday afternoon, which was set to be a 4 o'clock tip. This is the quote included from John Curry. After consultation with our medical professionals and in, the, uh, in an abundance of caution. That'd be a great band name to come out of the pandemic. When we can watch bands again, Robert, would you go see Abundance of Caution? Nah, anything that sounds like a day to remember, like that stuff Darren Vaught listens to, probably not going to it. Abundance of Caution. Be a great band name. And in an abundance of caution. We will pause activities with our men's basketball program for the rest of the week. Our top priority is the health and safety of our student-athletes, and given the significant increase in COVID infections both in Forsyth County and across North Carolina, this is the right decision. Got anything from Forbes here? Yes, we do. Real quick, our program is always going to follow the advice of our university and local medical personnel Although we're disappointed that we will be unable to play a game this week, this is the right thing to do at this moment. We already learned this morning, Coach Forbes, he wanted to have a game scheduled for Sunday. This next Sunday, don't know who it would be against, but that's kind of the plan. But that was the plan at around 10 a.m. this morning, and it's now 5.44 in the afternoon. So glad you're with us. We got ticket to the house to do in 10 minutes. I want to continue down this path talking about Snoop Dogg and his commentary of the game on, or the boxing match on Saturday, Tyson, Roy Jones. Thinking about areas it'd be good to insert, you know, a less buttoned up approach, having more fun with the broadcast. Do we have a sample of Snoop's call from Saturday? Jake. Oh, 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 oh
Snoop, talk about dropping it like it's us, baby. Holy God, up! Lead me Let me stand. Wow. Huh. That, I assume, is when Nate Robinson got knocked out. Yeah, I love Mario goes to him and he's like, Snoop, tell us about, and he's in the middle of like singing this spiritual-esque song. So Mario's like, Israel, what do you what do you think about this? <laughs> um, I love it. I really did. It exceeded my expectations on Saturday. My expectations were that it was going to be a joke and the fight kind of was a joke. It was fun, but Roy Jones Jr. did not want to be there. Whew. Mike can still throw heavy, heavy punches. Roy was in paint the entire time. I don't know why they called it a draw, except maybe they agreed beforehand, hey, we're going to do this, and unless any of us get knocked out, we're going to call this thing a draw. Yeah, it's an exhibition, and technically they weren't allowed to knock each other out. I don't know how you govern that either way, but they, the commission said that there should be no shots planning to knock somebody out. Yeah, so the thing was a joke. I mean, but it, but it's not a joke. You, when would you else you get to see Mike Tyson fight somebody unless it was in that scenario? Now, part of me wanted, just for one day, COVID not to exist, and to pack that place out so Mike Tyson can hear a crowd cheering for him one more time. He said he's going to fight again. He's a humanitarian now. That's what he does. Okay. I hope that happens one more time for Mike because that would be... That was pretty cool to see it, where you had Michael Buffer, you had Snoop Dogg performing. Who were some of the other performers? You had Neo do the national anthem. Haven't uh, thought about Saint Neo. St. John in a while. was there, French Montana. St. John. I remember Marcel Louis Jacques told us uh, when he was a Panthers reporter, now working for ESPN covering the Bills, oh, this guy's going to be huge. This guy's going to be huge before anybody knew who he was. Turned out he was, he was right. That was like three years ago. Turns out he was right on that. It just took him three years to get big. <laughs> like That's right. You know, St. John, pretty good. I know some of his songs now. But I, what other sports would it work? Because he's right, Roy was, the NFL, it would not work. Absolutely not, because people take that so seriously. Everybody knows the ins and outs of it, where the analysis is so key in fantasy football. It's so much. That's why Pat McAfee, I think, works so great in the college game day setting, Works great, worked great on those Thursday night football games. You can have fun with it because eh, not everybody knows who the quarterback is or has a college fantasy team. You, it's a little bit more buttoned up, a little bit more loosened up. The NBA, I think you can't, it might be a little bit too serious for that to happen. But hockey with Snoop Dogg on a broadcast, that was great. And they could use it. College basketball seems perfect for Snoop if that's something he's interested in. Ah, uh, it's funny that he's like, oh, people take that way too seriously. Then he's like, uh, how about college basketball? As if people don't take that too seriously. No, I don't think they do. I I think they definitely around people here try they to. Do. Yeah, exactly. He's but, on a Carolina game, popping jokes. But across the country, across the country, you know, there's there's maybe 10, 12 places where college basketball is a primary sport. Where by God, college basketball is where it happens. Everywhere else, outside of March. People don't know who these players are. That's what I'm they saying, don't. though. But we were talking about it. I thought in this context, okay. we're like our context. Yeah. So like, how was it? How the hell could Snoop Dogg be on 
uh, a, a Duke Carolina game doing commentary. You know how mad everybody would be besides me and me. I'd love it. Oh, yeah, I you love both great. those teams, so you it, it, it'd be hard for you to be upset How's that about possible? that. I, um, I don't know. <laughs> I think somebody hit it on the head. You're not a Duke homer. You're not a Carolina homer. You're an ACC homer. That's what I think. You're right. Is. Go Boston College. You love them. You love Kukley. You love Luke. <laughs> I'm all in on Georgia Tech. Or you wished Bayheim a happy birthday last week. I think you're just an ACC homer. Uh, that's, or maybe I just cover the ACC. That's possible. Uh, you know, yeah, not likely. If you cover it, odds are there are going to be times you say bad things about people. And there's going to be time you say good things about people. Just say something bad about Roy Williams right now. Um, Roy Williams. Uh, Wanda's prettier than you. Say something. You could say anything. Roy Williams knew. Oh, 